You're listening to The Tool Belt, a manufacturing podcast focusing on logistics, safety, operations, and breaking industry news. Hello, everyone, and welcome to a new episode of the Tool Belt Podcast brought to you by Plant Services and the Endeavor Business Media's Manufacturing Group. I'm Tom Wilk, the Chief Editor of Plant Services, and we're coming to you live from the SMRP Annual Conference, where today I'm really excited to have with us Jim Fitch and Paul Hiller, both from the ICML, the International Council for Machinery Lubrication. So thank you both for being with us today. Certainly. Our pleasure. Yep. Yep. You know, I figured we'd take this opportunity to talk about some of the larger trends that we see in the asset management and maintenance market. Uh, We all heard this morning in the opening session at this event that there's almost 1,400 people registered for the event, and they had a confirmed attendance of more than 1,240, which Mm -hmm. is now setting records for the SMRP annual conference. it kind of feels like the dip we had from COVID, it, we're, we're trying to bounce back as hard as we can. <clears throat> so uh, let me ask you both this first question. You know, since on behalf of ICML and Noria, you, you both see a, a wide cut of industry. Do you get the sense that industry is bouncing back in, in strength the same way that this event has, or what kind of challenges you're picking up on these days? Um, yeah, this, this conference uh, two years ago, I think we were in uh, St. Louis, I'm pretty sure the attendance was right around uh, half of what it is mm-hmm. uh, this week. And so, you know, why it was that, of course, it was related, related to COVID. Um, and my sense is that uh, we have kind of leapfrogged over the COVID era and we're back to business as usual. Uh, that's what we're seeing uh, at Noria as well. I mean, we, Noria has a conference called Reliable Plant. We run it uh, every year, and uh, you know, this year we just happened to be in Orlando. Next year we'll be in Chicago, and we are also seeing numbers come right back to uh, to normal, which is good both in the exhibit hall as well as the attendees, and the, the practitioners that are coming to these conferences. So that's a good thing. That is part of what that tells me is that plants are comfortable letting their workers move out of the plant and they can afford that temporary loss in headcount, um, either because they have enough labor or resources to do the job, or they figure they, they can manage that resource gap. For a while there, it was sort of touch and go with some yeah. factories. They couldn't let anybody go. Well, it's always difficult. I mean, even as, sometimes even more so when the economy is strong, hmm. because these plants are in a sold-out position. They can sell everything they can make. And that means they need to keep the machines running. Uh, and that means they have to have staff in the plant to make sure they're running. And to take them out to go to a conference can sometimes be really, really difficult. But, you know, they got to kind of think of the long game here. they got to make sure that they are, they are managing uh, maintenance reliability so that over a period of time that, that uh, stability and that reliability is there. And that means their, their people have to be educated. They've got to know about what the new technologies are, the services, the software, all of that's a part of achieving that. So, On the uh, exams, on the certification exam side that we do, uh, there was a, a downturn. But uh, one of the, the nice things with the come, I guess one of the nice things to come out of all the lockdown experience from our side 
from a, a business activity standpoint is that uh, exam sessions are back up in person, but a lot of training companies have, uh, because of the lockdowns, implemented online training modules or uh, real-time classes, remote uh, training and such. So when it comes to the shortage of workers and such, now people can take advantage of the training without having to leave the site for four days. And uh, even we implemented an online exam, uh, all of the exams as well, so that somebody doesn't have to leave the site to take the certification exam either. And that and those numbers we were just reviewing, you know, are back up to almost pre-lockdown levels. So that that comeback is happening. That's that's tremendous. And it, I, I've noticed that a lot of companies that deliver training have accelerated their movement towards online or blended mm -hmm. learning. Mm -hmm. um, um, in some ways, the media world, we had to pivot too to make sure that we were delivering this multimedia content to mm -hmm. to people who oh, were. Oh, sure. Yeah. Right. So yeah, we, uh, you know, Nori is a training organization and we train all over the world. And during COVID, we actually built a brand new studio. It's like a TV studio <laughs> uh, oh. so that we could, you know, fill it full of, uh, you know, props and hardware. And uh, we had proper lighting and microphones and so forth. And during that period of time, we, uh, we did lots and lots of courses. Uh, we did l many of those became on-demand courses that people could download and study you know, or, or go through at will, self-directed, that sort of thing. Uh, but these days, it's definitely the pendulum is swinging back in the other direction, and people have kind of grown tired of trying to go through training, uh, you know, by looking at a computer or a screen. They want to have that classroom interaction, the ability to talk to other uh, students, to talk to the professor. Uh, it's, it's you know if, you know these courses are 24 hours long three days uh, and it's, it's kind of hard to get all the way through that just looking at a computer yeah. and many of them you know aborted you know a third of the way through you know <laughs> and they never finished these courses and and so it's you know we we have to have these days both options and so yeah. online is an option we run as many online course public courses as we do um, in person we don't get quite as many as we, we used to, but we now have really access to the entire planet. Uh, we, have, we, had, we ran a course, uh, you know, like 18 months ago, it was an MLE course, the Lubrication Engineering course. We had 20 different countries represented. It was just hmm. time zones all around the world. They wanted to, you know, we had three different instructors running that course and they wanted to participate in it was a really good course uh, you know if we would have tried to do that in person we would it would, it would not have been possible we'd only had maybe a third that many people so uh, so we're still running those courses and and we've learned how to do those courses at a much higher quality level than you know the old days it was like voice over PowerPoint you were sitting in front of a, a, a laptop you were going through PowerPoint and you were talking into the little microphone there and it wasn't very high quality we can we do it much different these days yeah. so. there was a presenter at the conference just this morning who said that their internal apprenticeship training program took off once they aligned the in-class curriculum with the hands-on yeah. <clears throat> training back at the plant Mm. and that even their students had told them you've got to bring these things closer together we can't learn about pumps one day and then six months later get our hands on a pump for the first time it just won't work no. No.
much time passes they forget about what they've learned before you know there's there's yeah. certain subjects that you really need to have and hands-on environment and one way to do this and we do some of this is that we start out with <coughs> a lecture uh, you know a, you know it could last 30 minutes to an hour in person and then we uh, show them a video so they can kind of see you know it maybe it's task-based training for instance they're learning how to perform a particular task <coughs> so they see a video of it uh, being performed and then we go to machines a machine or a prop that's similar to the machine and then they they perform that task you know on that machine or the, some people call them simulators so it's it's kind of has three components to it but it has that hands-on kind of clinic or workshop feel to it that i think uh, enables people to have a, a more uh, kind of re retention of of what we've taught them mm -hmm. and they can practice as many times as they want so yeah oil analysis is the cornerstone in a lot of ways to a responsible maintenance program whether it's preventative or predictive so as someone who goes into a lot of the plants and has a lot of work with people, are you seeing patterns right now to the challenges they're facing? Uh, what what problems they're coming to to the ICML perhaps, and also perhaps in Noria to to help them solve right now? By the time I'd be involved with them at all, they'd be already be looking to um, um, to certify. I, I think that. Uh, most of the people I tend to talk to at the conference here have uh, um, set up uh, contracts with third-party labs to do their analysis and so they don't necessarily pursue say the uh, LLA certification for in-house personnel although I'll always recommend it but uh, their challenge then is to uh, to find a reputable fast turnaround comprehensive lab somewhere uh, that they can get fairly quick results but it helps to have somebody in-house that can communicate with the lab on a yeah. uh, on that level of information and then to recognize when there might be some shortcomings in the labs re reports uh, and such but um, I think the challenge has always been to have a good turnaround and a lab that's responsive to y your reporting needs but nothing I don't, I'm not hearing anything, you know, new kinds of challenges in that area. So I think what we've seen, I mean, we've been involved in oil analysis since the uh, early 80s. And what we're seeing is less reliance on the laboratory analyst to interpret the data and more uh, engagement by the local person at the plant to take the data knowing what the machine is, knowing the history of the machine, reliability history, the type of lubricants that are used, uh, uh, the, the duty cycle workloads, things like that associated with the machine. Okay, yeah. And then that person may also have information on vibration and thermography and ultrasound, uh, inspection information. All of that is kind of creating a, a picture of the the machine's health. Uh, so oil data is just one part of that. And so we want, and we teach uh, uh, oil analysis, uh, we, we want the user, the practitioner, to have competency of what tests to run, what alarms and limits to set, uh, and how to interpret the data, and not rely on the analyst who's working in a laboratory, he may be two years out of college or something, may not even have a college degree, and he's trying to go through 500 oil analysis reports before the end of the day, and he's just going through them fast. He doesn't really understand, he may, he may have never 
seen a compressor before in his life or a gearbox or a turbine generator. He's just been told about it. And, and so that person may be good at alerting uh, to uh, abnormal data, but really interpreting from the standpoint of what's going on there and how to respond to that data. They're really not equipped, uh, you know, clearly there are some exceptions, but they're not equipped to do that. The in-plant person is much better He'd be the that. subject matter you expert there. You don't yeah. have to be a chemist in, with, with in analytical chemistry to do a really good job of oil analysis, data interpretation. If you're a mechanic, you've been on the inside of the machine, we, you've seen how machines fail, you, you understand the failure modes and all that, you're far better equipped to interpret oil analysis data than an analytical chemist. Especially being able to provide the context, like you were saying, all the all the details and parameters and the environmental con issues around a particular unit for a machine, yeah. and, and it's the you know all the machines that are supposed to be running alike, but there's that one that needs that special attention because it's a little bit different, and uh, the lab analyst outside a third party is not going to know that unless the oh. in-house expert provides that information. But even then. Yeah, it gets you know, you know, there's a, something called exposures. What is the oil been exposed to? Okay. Mm -hmm. What's the heat it's been exposed to? What's the chemistry, the process chemistry? Uh, what is the particle contamination, moisture, coolants, the metallurgy of the machine? Again, loads, pressures, temperatures, all that kind of stuff influences that data. Okay. And, and you mentioned what we call bad actors. Those are these <laughs> machines that have chronic problems. Uh, you know, maybe this is one of those machines. Uh, again, think about all the other data that's, that, that needs to be included into the decision on whether to tear the machine down or to try to remediate a problem or something like this. Not just oil, but oil is a, you know, is a part of that condition monitoring universe, a big part of it. And this is where certified people, to make a plug for certifications, of yeah. course, uh, certified people in-house, even in yeah. LLA, would be in the best position to make those decisions, right. not your analyst on the outside. So who is that certified person? That person is someone that has lubrication fundamentals training. That would be our MLA level one. Mm -hmm. uh, then that, then moving that into oil analysis basics training, that would be MLA level two. And it would include sampling and all the three categories of oil analysis, data interpretation, alarm limit setting, uh, all of that. And then if it's a larger plant, a lot of assets, we need to probably have an MLA level three. This is a person that knows how to design a lubrication program, how to set up an on-site laboratory, how to you know, modify machines as necessary, proper location of sampling ports. All of that would be in that level three certification. And uh, in the, the ICML program is perfectly suited to kind of help them through those training and certification steps. Well, let's wrap this up with a discussion of ICML 55, the standard that has been recently augmented and evolved. Paul, mm -hmm. could you tell us about the advances made this year with ICML 55? Yeah, ICML 55 uh, is a standard that was introduced in 2019 as a response to the broad nature of ISO 55000. And ICML 55 is the result of a committee of 45 experts from all around the world who uh, uh, 
and you can speak more to this, Jim, but put their heads together and developed this standard. It basically takes all the decision points from uh, and all the considerations of the ISO broad ISO 55,000 document, brings all those decision points down much closer to the shop floor where lubricated asset management decisions are made. So it, it almost translates the broader document uh, for lubricated asset managers. And now they can take that, uh, all the concepts, and apply them directly in the plant. And so uh, the 55.1 is the requirements document. That was introduced in 2019, lays out all the things that ought to be considered for a successful, sustainable lubrication management system. And uh, somebody using that then would, would there's probably a lot of uh, uh, recommendations and requirements in there that uh, a manager might not have ever considered otherwise. So it, it standardizes all those requirements. And this year, finally, we uh, introduced the 55.2, which is the follow-up implementation guideline. And that uh, takes the 12 areas that are introduced in 55.1, the 12 areas of a successful, sustainable lubrication management system and it expands on them and explains how they can be implemented and then there's a 55.0 overview executive overview that can be provided to management so they know what's going on and feel part of the picture so all those uh, uh, have been published this year now the 55.1 was reformatted to fit the the new series which is presented in a hardcover and uh, uh, sold through our publisher now so Go ahead. So, I mean, this really got started many years ago, I think like eight years ago, when ISO 55000 first became published. And that, that standard is harmonized with ISO 9000, mm -hmm. harmonized with 14000 and other ISO standards. But if you looked at that document, the, the, the 55001 uh, version of that document, the, uh, the, which are the requirements, and you read through it and looking for words like reliability, uh, physical assets, gearboxes, bearings, turbines, hydraulic systems, the word maintenance, the word lubrication, the word lubricants, none of those words exist <laughs> in that document. Okay, So what we realized when we looked at it is that is a very holistic document. It's I call it the forest. It's trying to take care of the forest. But if you want a healthy forest, you got to take care of the trees, and you got to know how to take care of the trees. And one of the important uh, subcomponents there is the lubrication of mechanical physical assets and so we knew that that was the perfect assignment for the icml mm -hmm. so we went out and we created a uh, a an outline it's, it's kind of like a engineering specification for lubrication excellence if, if you were to write that specification for lubrication excellence what it would, would it look like? Well, there are a lot of different opinions out there, and we knew we couldn't just make it a Noria opinion or this person opinion or that person opinion. So we assembled a kind of stable of experts. These are people from around the world that you know have they're high-profile individuals that have a reputation, maybe expertise in one area or the other. And we brought them together and we showed them the outline of what we were trying to achieve, but we needed to kind of. Uh, you know, put flesh on the bone there. How, what, what are all these 12 chapters? What, are, what do we need to include? And it took us like three years. I mean, it was a, it was a struggle and because, you know, experts don't agree. And so, uh, <laughs> but we, we didn't give up and eventually we got everybody's input. We let every one of these experts review the, 
the language of the other experts and then we had to condense it all down and decide what made more sense what was more right than other things and so we, we, we kind of brought it down to three remaining experts, uh, Brian Johnson, who was chairman of ICML at the time, uh, myself, and then Drew Troyer. Uh, you may know Drew. I know and, Drew, uh, yeah. So the three of us kind of got into a room, and we just fought through this and condensed it down, and that left us behind what was now what we call the ICML 55-1, which is the the uh, the, the the requirements document it's a very special it's, it's unprecedented mm -hmm. uh and it's you know we're gonna we will see th through the the part two which is how to do uh the point one this uh catch traction around the world we already seen that so that's awesome i I'd imagine there's a lot of folks who when they saw part two emerge on the market yeah they're relieved just to say, okay, this is how the experts say we do this specifically yeah. down to line item, action this, action that. That's, yeah. that's exciting. Yeah. Right. And so we're billing it now where the overview document it explains why to do a lubricated management system, and then mm -hmm. the requirements document tells what to do, and the, and the guideline document tells how to do it. So the why, what, how. That is great. I had to bring this so I didn't confuse that. <laughs> Everyone, we're looking at a flyer that's being passed out here at the SMRP show for ICML 55 series. Um, if anybody wants to find this flyer or the documents, where can we point them to? Uh, this is at our publisher's website, actually. I mean, if they're here at the conference, they can swing by the ICML booth. Of, uh, I almost gave my hotel number. 412 <laughs> is, the, is the booth number. But this flyer is uh, actually uh, available out on the publisher's website. River Publishers is uh, handling all the orders and publishing. We're not doing it in-house anymore. Mm -hmm. So uh, if you were to go to our uh, ICML website and click on the ICML 55 tab, there's more write-up about this with the links to the publisher website <coughs> to read more and order today, that kind of thing. Okay, mm -hmm. and we'll get those links into the podcast notes when we, once we wrap this up and oh, get it ready to publish too. So, well, Jim, Paul, thank you so much for being here today. I'm really excited to talk to you about Pleasure. this. Pleasure. Thank you very much.